you've done this, right? You've been on a roller coaster. You get in and you file in and it's two or three in a row, maybe four. And all of a sudden the bar comes down and you realize there's no turning back at this point. You don't want to be a wuss and go, no, I don't want to go. You, you, you kind of are locked. You're literally locked in, right? And you, you, the roller coaster, everybody's on, and then all of a sudden there's some, some thing clear, and then the car starts to go up that hill. It just keeps going up and up and up and up. And you go, was this really a good idea? Do I really want to do this? Why did I get on this car anyways? And then you get to the top, and it like, it seems like it pauses. Doesn't it seem like it pauses? And then all of a sudden, you go over the top, and you look down, and you go, I can't see the bottom. I can't see the bottom. This is disturbing to me that I can't see the bottom. And then next thing you know, you're going. I mean, you're dropping like a rock, and you're, you're terrified. And some of you scream like a little girl because you're little girls, you know. And some of you are adults that scream like little girls. And some of you do, some of you, and I've, you go like this, like that, right? You hold it in, you hold it all in, and then others are like, yay! I don't understand you folks. I really don't understand you folks. But it's fun, right? You're terrified. You're terribly afraid, but you're having a ball. And then you get done, and you first thing you look at each other and go, let's do it again. <laughs> let's go again. <laughs> um, let's replay that scenario, though. Same scenario. You're at the top. You go down. But as you're going down, you see this next hairpin corner that you're going up, and you're going to be kind of turning upside down. The problem is the track isn't there you immediately realize you're terrified, but this isn't going to get solved. This isn't going to be fun. This is a problem, right? So there's two different things going on. And so the second scenario where you go and you're, you're going, there's no turning back. You're going fast and you're going down and you look and you see there's no track. You're terrified. That's the terror that the 12, the disciples were facing in the passage we're going to look at today. So if you want to turn, and I encourage you to turn, and pull out the uh, sermon guide. You have the sermon guide. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Let me read it to you. Let me tell you where we're going this weekend. We're going to find this weekend that when you look for Jesus in the storms of your life, you'll find him. But not only that, it, it is a way for us to demonstrate faith. It's how we demonstrate faith. So let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and then we'll talk about it. There's only two points that I'm going to bring up, uh, but I think that they're, hopefully, uh, they, I think they're going to speak to every one of us in di- at different levels in different ways, but I think they're impor- it's important for us to visit it. Notice what it says in verse 35. That day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Which, what, what's going on here is, I, he, we, if you read the beginning of the chapters, he's in a boat teaching. And I think all that means is he didn't come to shore, he just kind of stayed in the boat or got in another boat, and he left. He didn't, you know, prepare, just, they just got in their boats and they left. There were also other boats with him. A fur- furious squall came up 
and the waves broke over the boat so that they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the waves died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So the first uh, point I want to bring out is the one who made the world still controls it. The one who made the world still controls it. Uh, Genesis 1.1, you, you should all know this verse. This is a very common verse, even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, it says in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very simple. Created. Um, if you read the first uh, three verses of, the, of John's gospel, which he seems to be very clearly going back to Genesis 1.1, here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, so the Word is a he, and we know him to be Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. If you read through the Genesis account, you see that God just merely speaks. He speaks, and there's the universe. He speaks, there's the, the earth. He speaks, there's the ocean. He speaks, there's the earth. He speaks, there's the plant life. He speaks, there's the, the animal. He just speaks. He speaks, and, and, and it happens, right? Now, most ancient cultures believe the sea was this uncontrollable power. And it was to be feared. They saw the, uh, it was filled with great danger and destruction in Jewish literature. And it was also a symbol for an ominous, a sinister, and threatening thing. And I think that's why when we read the book of Revelation, you come to the book of Revelation, and John says something very odd. And, and you read through it, and you go, what's that all about? And uh, John, in the passages, he's trying to bring comfort. And here's what he says. You can write this reference down, Revelation 21.1. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We get that, right? The new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I think the point that John is making there is the one thing that terrified people is gone. It's gone. There's no more terror. And so, a few things about this storm that uh, Jesus calmed. First, it was fearsome. Now, remember, most of the people on this, on this boat were fishermen. They were seasoned sailors. They had been on the Sea of Galilee many, many times. This was their livelihood. But this storm was so great, they were terrified. The boat was sinking. It was taking on water. It was swamped. And, and, and if the, the Greek says they feared with great fear. They feared with, that's literally what the Greek says. They feared with great fear. They were afraid. Secondly, it was fatal. The disciples come to Jesus. They expected to die. They, they didn't expect that they were going to make it. They thought that the, the, the boat was going down and uh, at night and with all the waves, with all the squall, and with all the storm and surge, and they thought, this is it. We're done. It's, it's over. We don't have a chance. The third thing about the storm was it was faithful. 
They went, they roused to Jesus. He seemed to be in the, uh, asleep at the stern of the boat. That's the back for those of you land lovers, okay? And uh, there was a discovery in the, the Sea of Galilee in 1986. They found a boat that was 26 feet long, 7 feet wide, and about 4, four feet, four and a half feet, 5 feet deep that had an elevated stern dating to the time of Jesus. They believed that the boat could ha- hold about 15 people. So this is the kind of boat that they were probably in. And this boat is swamped. It's going down. But the thing that the disciples had forgotten was what he first told them. What did he say to them? I don't know if you, you might have passed over it. He said, let's, let's go to the other side. You notice what he didn't say? Let's get in a boat because we're going to go out in the middle of a storm and drown. He didn't say that. He didn't, I don't remember reading that. He said, we're going to go to the other side. He's God, right? He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He didn't say, let's go out in the middle. We're going to get a storm and we're going to die. No, he didn't say that. Um, and I think that uh, here's the other thing. They, he didn't say to them, wake me up about when we get halfway because it's going to get real stormy and I need to be there to kind of hold your hand as you go through this. They didn't do that. The storm happened and they panicked, of course, understandably so. But you, you notice that Jesus didn't feel compelled to uh, share his plans with them. And today, have you noticed that God doesn't share his plans with you? Have you noticed that? Doesn't that bug you that God doesn't tell you in advance, oh, by the way, this week, here's what's going to happen. This is going to be a storm. It's going to be a big one. And you're going to panic and you're going to have fear. But, you know, I, 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 I want you to, why do you think God doesn't do that? Is it possible that in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow is enough trouble of its own? Do you think possibly that Jesus gets us and knows that if we know what's going to happen a month from now or two weeks from now or tomorrow or the next day, that it's, there's going to be a storm that probably everything leading up to that is not going to be very good? That we're going to be so focused on that and so freaked out by it and just beside ourselves that it's going to mess us up. And I think that's one of the reasons why he doesn't tell us. But their faith had given hold of fear. Now, it's interesting. They wake Jesus up and, he, you know, it's not like you see him. Jesus is so cold-blooded. And I mean that in the most positive way. He just wakes up like, oh, there's a storm. Oh, okay. Um. This is not a. This is not a big deal. This is, you know, and and it, it, it. Mark's words are so like like summarized. He merely speaks to the wind and the waves. There's no panic. He doesn't incarnate uh, a spirit. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't call out to higher powers. He just speaks because he is the higher power. Remember, we talked about Genesis one one and John one, where he created everything. Not only did he create everything, but he controls everything. He's overall. And the wind, wind and the wave obey their master. He simply commanded the storm to stop. It's almost like this. Sometimes, uh, you know, probably not your children, but sometimes your children can get a little rowdy, get a little rambunctious. And you just say, knock it off. Stop it. Be quiet. They stop. And that's essentially what Jesus said. Jesus basically said to the wind and the waves, knock it off, stop it. 
be quiet. And, and it was. And interestingly enough, the storm stopped immediately. Not just, not just the wind, but also the waves. The, this, the, way, the wind, we could say, okay, we've had times where it's been really windy, then all of a sudden. But when you have waves, those don't stop right away. Those, that, that takes a while. If you know anything about being on a lake or being on a, a you know, body of water, one of the, mo- the calmest times are in the morning or in the evening. It's just the waters are super calm. That's the picture that I have here, that Jesus spoke and the wind stopped and then immediately was calm. And these sailors kind of knew how the waves and the wind worked. They knew kind of it would build up and then it would come down. And and sometimes these, these storms would come very quickly. But when they were done, they were still hanging on, waiting for the, you know, the repercussions to settle down. And I think what terrified them was, and here's the point. This isn't a coincidence that Jesus got up just at the time the storm was over. No. Because everything stopped and it was calm. So the reaction of the disciples was, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's really a good question. And by the way, that's what Mark is going to answer in the next few weeks. Who is this Jesus? Well, this, this weekend we learn he's the one who can calm the storms. He's the one that's over all of the earth, the, the wind and the waves and everything else. He is the one who created them and he's over them. Uh, as we continue on, uh, next weekend we're going to look at how he casts out demons. So he's over the spirit world. He's not just over the physical world, he's over the spirit world. He's going to cast some demons out of, uh, uh, and, and they're going to go into pigs. Mark's going to talk about that next weekend. And then the, the following weekend is going to talk about how he's over disease and how he heals people. And there's no disease that he can't heal, that he has the power of healing. The disciples were afraid of the wind and the waves, but they were terrified of Jesus and they were in awe of him. They realized they were with somebody of greater power and might. Now, here's the point I want you to see. By calming the wind and the waves, Jesus proved to be their master, the master of the wind and the waves, but also he proved to be the disciples, the twelve's masters, and our master. The psalmist puts it this way. This is Psalm 89. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up. You still them. You ever try stilling waves? It's kind of hard to do. <laughs> Just won't do it. Here's what I've learned over the years, that fear, anxiety, and worry are very s- similar. You know, some fear is healthy. Not all fear is bad. When you have a car racing at you at a high rate of speed, you ought to be afraid. You ought to say, I need to jump out of the way. I need to get protection. I need to get behind something, right? Uh, I've seen on YouTube pictures of a little kid, and they're against this glass at a zoo, and there's a a tiger on the other side. And the tiger's got its mouth open, and it's like literally this far from the little kid. And the little kid's playing with a tiger, and it has no no, has no clue at all on how dangerous that is. It's good to have a fear. As a parent, it's very hard for us to walk up to the glass when there's a tiger there because we know 
what a tiger can do, right? Rip us to shred in seconds. Well, that's a, that's a healthy fear, but there's other kinds of fear. There's anxiety and worry. And, and anxiety and worry are really those low-level fears. They're, they're not the cars coming at you or there's a tiger chasing you down. It's this low-level anxiety, worry. I'm concerned about this. Something that I have no control over. And fear and worry and anxiety stem from the same root. Jesus says to his disciples, it's a lack of faith. It it really comes down to a lack of faith. So I had a moment uh, this week where I got a letter and it said, you're in violation. And I go, didn't know that. But I'm kind of worried about it because the letter said, you're in trouble. (laughs) So I went and... And I just was like, so the enemy's going, you're really in trouble. You're really going to get it. You you, you just don't know how much trouble you're in. And I was kind of going through all that. And I just said, God knows about this. And I just said, I'm not going to go crazy. But I'm not going to allow this to go crazy. So I just said, God, just calm me. Just release this fear that I'm feeling, this this overwhelming anxiety that I have right now. And I just said, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to, you, you got a plan and I took care of it. And, and it was, you know, it, it turned out, you know, that I took care of it and it wasn't a big deal. But that's the way fear is and anxiety and worry. You, you got to get control of it. The only way you're going to get control of it is you're going to have to look for Jesus in the midst of it. He's there. See, the thing is, the 12 had forgotten that Jesus was with them. That he was with them in the storm. He was there in the boat with them. What they failed to do, they found him, but they found him without faith, really, is what it was. They said, well, I know there's a Jesus somewhere, but we're all dead. You say, well, we'd never do that. But we do do that, don't we? Don't we? We have this, this trouble, this, this trial. And, and, and I've talked to people and I said, well, have, we, have you prayed about it? Well, no. Well, when you don't pray about it and you don't say, Jesus, you need to take this from me. And maybe you need to say it more than once. Maybe you need to say it every 15 or 20 minutes or whatever. But there's a release that you have to give. And you say, Jesus, I need you right now. You always need to look for Jesus in the storm. He's there. Fear, anxiety, and worry are symptoms of lack, a lack of looking for Jesus. It's a lack of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. You can't really say that you're living in faith at that moment if you're fearing, if you're walking in worry, if you're filled with anxiety. You can't really say you're walking in faith. And, and what you have to do is you have to say, Jesus, you're in this storm. You're well aware of it. You made the world. You created me your image. You got a plan. You care. And that's the second point. The one who made us still loves us. Now, the real question that the twelve are asking Jesus is this. Do you even care? Do you even care? 
And isn't this the question we often ask when the wind, wind and the waves of life show up in our lives? God, how could you let this happen to me? Don't you care for me? We feel God has fallen asleep in our time of greatest need, and we often think, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let this happen to me. Now, this is really, this is something that's going on in our culture, our Christian culture. We have a a belief in our culture that says, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should never go through these trials or tribulations. You should never experience those storms and, and waves, the wind and the waves. You should never experience that because Jesus loves you and Jesus would never allow one of his children to go through those difficult times. Now, we as parents don't want our kids to go through trials and tribulations. We try to protect them from everyone, sometimes to their, to their detriment, really. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't calm the storm, and he doesn't say to his disciples. I didn't read this in the text. If you saw it there, let me know. But I didn't hear him say something like this. I'm so sorry you had to go through this. I should have told you this was coming. I was really tired. How can I make it up to you? This is the God that we are creating in the Christian church. We're creating a God who serves us, and feel, we feel like he has to answer to us for the things that go wrong in our lives. Notice, do you remember the book of Job? So Job was tested a couple of times, and he lost basically everything, from his wealth to his family to his, to his health. And, and he, he, says to, he says to his friends, and he says to God, all I want is an audience with God. I just want God to explain what's going on. That's all I want. Because I believe that I don't deserve this, that I've done nothing to bring this on me. And I don't think it's fair. Essentially, that's what he's saying. I don't think it's fair. I love God, and why should this happen to me? If I love God, why should this happen to me? Well, God does answer Job. And this is what he says. You could just write this reference down. I'll read it to you. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job. It's interesting how he spoke to him. It says, out of the storm. It's like God is, God is just the storm. He's this, this unmanageable power. And, and the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And he just keeps going. God just keeps going. He says, I'm sorry, were you there when, when I laid the foundation of the earth? I don't remember you being there. Were you there when I said for the oceans to come this far and to go no further? I don't remember. Were you there? And he just goes on and on and on. And finally Job says, woe is me. Then you hear the answer that Jesus gives the 12, the disciples, in the same manner. He says, why are you so, still, why are you so afraid? 
Do you still have no faith? We have somehow equated God's love with our lives having no wind and waves. We believe the lie that says, because God loves me, he will never allow bad things to happen to me. And Jesus says to his disciples, your premise is wrong and you should have known better. And he says to us today, your premise, if this is what you believe, that because you love God, you'll never experience wind and waves, your premise is wrong... Your premise is wrong, and you should know better. In fact, even Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, trouble, trials, wind and waves. You're going to have it. It's going to happen. So going through storms doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means that we live in a fallen world. That's all it means. And like I said last weekend, we're in that in-between time between D-Day and V-Day. And in the midst of this day, Jesus said there's going to be tribulation, trials, sickness. There's going to be all sorts of bad things that are going to happen. He didn't say that it would be easy. He said that he would be with us in uh, those times. I love the quote by Elizabeth Elliot. She says this, God is God. And since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere else but in his will. And that will is necessarily, infinitely, unspeakably unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. In other words, she says, I don't know what he's doing sometimes, most of the time. But he's God, and I'm not. And I'm okay with that. Paul writes something a little different in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says this, Therefore do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here's what you do when you're struggling with anxiety and worry and fear. So fix your eyes not in what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It's part of life. I want to close by just talking for just a second about some parallels between Jesus and an Old Testament prophet, Jonah, which is very interesting. There's some striking parallels. Let me give you a number of them. The first one is, you see, Jonah, Jesus and Jonah were both on the sea in a boat caught up in a violent storm. Jonah was running from God, okay, And God sent a storm to bring Jonah back. But they're both in a boat on the sea, caught up in a wild, violent storm. Jesus, secondly, Jesus and Jonah were both fast asleep during the storm. So Jesus is asleep while the storm is swamping the boat. And then Jonah's asleep. The sailors have to come to Jonah and say, hey, wake up. We're about ready to die here. Jesus and Jonah both were awakened by sailors with the words, we are perishing, we're in trouble, we need to do something here. So you see these parallels. 
Jesus and Jonah were both able to calm the storms miraculously. Now with Jonah, basically they wake him up and they realize that Jonah is, says, my God, Yahweh, is over the earth. He's over the wind and the waves. So they go, whoa, <laughs> what did you do? Because now you not just put yourself in jeopardy, you put all of us in jeopardy. And Jonah basically says, you need to throw me into the ocean. And these sailors try their hardest. They try rowing. They try doing everything they can. They realize it's a losing battle. They throw him into the ocean, and immediately it's calm. When the twelve wake Jesus, what did he do? He spoke to the wind and the waves, and they were immediately calm. But Jesus was never thrown into the storm like Jonah, so it seems like this is the the one parallel between the two that doesn't come through. But yet, is it? Because when you think about it, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? Well, he came to be a savior, right? And so Jesus entered a storm. He entered the ultimate storm of eternal justice. And he didn't flinch. He took the punishment and wrath that we deserved. On the cross... He was thrown into the final storm. He was thrown into the ultimate waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink you and me. Paul basically says in Corinthians that our, that our biggest problem is our sin and death. Jesus went into that storm. He was thrown into the storm for us. When you're facing the wind and the waves of life, when you wonder if he cares, remember he entered that eternal storm for you. He took the storm of eternal justice for you. He got the wrath of God and the punishment that you deserved. Jesus calmed the greatest storm that we know, and that's the storm of sin and death in our lives. Whatever problem you're struggling with, there's nothing greater than that. Here's the point. If you believe that he didn't abandon you in the great eternal storm, it will help you when you face the littler storms of life. And by the way, every other storm is little compared to the eternal storm that he paid for on the cross. Amen? So what are you struggling with today? Fear, worry, anxiety? You say, well, why am I going through this? Well, I don't know. Job didn't know. Most of us never find out why we go through these things. Jesus is part of the world we live in. These things are going to happen. But what we have to do is we have to look for Jesus in the midst. He says, I will be there in the midst of the storm. I'll be there. I'm not going to leave you. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. Look for me in the midst of the storm. Look for me in the darkness. Look for me when the wind and the waves come. I'll be there. I, I, I didn't promise you that you wouldn't have storms. What I promised was when you have the storms, I will be there if you look for me. And if you wonder if I care, remember that the, the ultimate storm, the one storm that none of us could conquer he went and took the wrath, the rejection, 
the, for the judgment that we deserved. He took that storm and he walked right into it for us. And he took the brunt of it for us so that we could be spared that storm, the storm that we couldn't win, the storm that we couldn't calm. And he calmed that storm. And so when we're wondering about the little storms of our lives, we need to look to the cross and see if he can calm that one, he'll calm them all. Let's pray. Father, help us to remember the storm. The storm at Calvary. The storm that Jesus walked into head on. The storm that took his life. The storm where your wrath was poured out. Where our sins were poured on. Where he took everything, the brunt of the storm for us. And help us never to forget what he did. Help us to remember that no matter what storm we might face, that he is there with us and he understands what we're going through. And that if he can conquer this big storm, the biggest storm, these little ones are nothing. Help us to remember the enemy wants to confuse us. He wants us to focus on the storm, the wind and the waves, to be all freaked out about. But Father, at that moment, may we look to the back of the boat and see Jesus sleeping because he's in control. Because he said, we're not going to drown. We're going to the other side. I have a plan. Help us to remember that when he was awoken, he just spoke. Just said, knock it off. Stop it. Be quiet. And it was. And Father, help us to look for Jesus in the storm because only he can calm those storms of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.